This Sunday is the final message in our um, summer worship series. And so I have the distinct pleasure of closing the series today. In fact, um, I wanted to thank Tom and Anton and Jeremy for um, being such great openers for me. (laughs) The reality is I have learned a ton from, from these guys about worship, and I hope that you have been able to be here this summer to hear some of those messages. Um, I consider it an honor to be even counted among them, so thank you guys. A few weeks ago, we looked at a passionate picture of worship. Um, if you remember, I showed a video of the Moak tribe of Papua New Guinea, and if you remember, they had been hearing stories of the Old Testament. They had never heard of Jesus, um, but they had been hearing stories of the Old Testament, and they knew there was a Messiah coming. And the video picks up right where they are getting ready to hear about Jesus for the first time. And if you remember in the video, after they heard what Jesus had done for them on the cross, that their sins were forgiven, and that now they could have a relationship again with the Father, if you remember, they erupted into spontaneous praise that lasted for two and a half hours. Today, we're going to look at another passionate picture of worship. This one isn't going to be in the form of a video, but rather comes directly from Scripture. It happened over 2,000 years ago, and we still talk about it today. So let me set up the scene for you as it comes from Scripture. Mary of Bethany learned that Jesus was going to be eating at Simon the leper's house. So she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and at the sight of Jesus, she fell to her knees, and she wept. And her tears hit his feet, and she used her hair to wipe his feet. She kissed his feet. She poured perfume on them. Some of those present were saying scornfully to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Jesus said, leave her alone. What she has done is a beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. And I tell you the truth, that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this amazing picture of worship. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would come and illuminate your word to us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate truth to us through this scripture and some other passages that we're going to look at. Lord God, I pray that what is not of you would fall on deaf ears, Lord God. But what is of you, pray that it would penetrate our hearts and transform us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to look at this morning is a passionate priority for God. Basically, a desire for God above all else. And we're going to look in the scriptures at some people who demonstrated this kind of passionate priority. 
But before we do that, let's look at Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5, and read what it says to the church in Ephesus there about what matters most to God. So I'll read it, and it'll be on the screen over here. Revelation 2, 2 through 5. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you remember with me this well-known letter, God commends the church for their deeds and their hard work and their perseverance. But what is his complaint against the church? They have forsaken their first love. So considering this, we recognize that it's possible for a church to be doing the right things, persevering, working hard, but still not be pleasing to God. And so this is our challenge this morning. How do we keep from making the same mistake? How do we keep from losing our first love? To help us understand what is meant by first love, I want to share an illustration used by author John Piper of a wedding anniversary. My wedding anniversary is December 3rd, and so suppose I come home that night with a dozen long-stemmed roses, and I walk in the door, and my wife Peggy sees me bring in the roses, and her face beams with delight as I walk in, and then I say something like, well, it is our anniversary, and I felt that it was my duty to give you these roses. (laughs) All of a sudden, she's not very pleased with that gift. What happened? I did the right thing. I gave her the gift. The gift was appropriate, but it wasn't given out of love. It was given out of duty. What my wife wants is a heart full of love and passion towards her, overflowing into expressions of that love. Amen? (laughs) And that's what God wants from his bride, the church, and God deserves it. So what brings you here today Is it a sense of duty or passion for our Lord? Let's look at some people in scriptures, in the scriptures who demonstrated this kind of passionate priority. First, I want to look at Moses in Exodus 33. And the background is this God has led Israel out of Egypt, and he's preparing to bring them into the promised land. But while God is meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai, the people of Israel get tired of waiting. And they construct a golden calf and and begin to worship it instead of the living God. God becomes angry with Israel, but in his mercy says that he will still allow them to enter the promised land. However, their punishment is that God's presence will not go with them. Listen to Moses' response in Exodus 33, 15 through 18. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. 
Do you catch this? Moses has interceded on behalf of the people, and God has answered his request, giving them the land he has promised them. But Moses wants more. He wants God himself. He says to God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. So Moses' passion for God is taking priority over the physical blessing of the promised land. And I think this is a really important point in our current American Christian culture. There are a lot of churches out there that preach something that we've come to know as the health and wealth gospel, which basically is the belief that God provides physical and material prosperity for those that he favors and that they can obtain these blessings through tithes and offerings. But look at Moses' situation. He's not holding on to the physical blessing. He's treasuring something else. He's choosing something better, God's presence. Let me encourage you today that through Jesus, God is always with us and present in whatever we are going through, whether we feel like we are being blessed or not. What do our prayers sound like? Do we find ourselves asking for material things, for changed circumstances, for a blessing from God more than we're asking for his presence in our lives? Do we recognize, as Moses did, that without God's presence, the blessing is worthless? The real blessing is his presence. As Christians, our strength is found in God's presence. As Moses prayed, we must also believe that God's presence in our lives is the power to change ourselves and the world around us. If you have time, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter of Exodus 33 and capture a little bit of the heart of Moses as he cried out to God, God, I want to know you more. Teach me your ways. Show me your glory. The awesome thing about this truth is that as you experience God for who he is and what he has done, as you experience his great love for you, as you begin to meet with him regularly, you will want more and more, as Moses did. This is the first love the church in Ephesus is called back to, a heart that cries out to God, I don't want to be anywhere that you are not. Lord God, show me your glory. Go before us. Next, we see that the Apostle Paul's heart was also captured by a passionate priority. Listen to these verses in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. What are your hopes and dreams? Is there something that makes you think, if only I could do this, if only I had this, then my life would be better, then I would be happy? The reality is, is that nothing in this world can truly satisfy us. It's never enough. And Paul understood this. He spent his whole life being the best Jew he could be, He did everything right. He was born to the right parents, circumcised at the right time. He kept the Jewish law, and he was zealous for his religion. Then he met Jesus, and it changed everything. All those things that he thought 
had been so important to him before, the things that he thought would make him significant in the eyes of the world became rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. Priority for Paul was knowing Christ. His heart was so captured by the love of Christ that he dedicated the rest of his life to helping others experience the love of Christ. We also learn from Paul's example that when your passion is knowing God and when knowing Christ takes priority over everything else, you're equipped to face whatever challenge life may throw at you. Listen to what Paul goes on to say to the Philippians in chapter 4, 11 through 13. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Because Paul's priority was his ever-deepening relationship with the Lord, he was able to remain steadfast regardless of the circumstance. He was filled with joy even in prison. Several years ago, I had the, the privilege of going to Rome and seeing what these Roman um, prisons look like. And they are very dark and cold and cramped. And so this was no small thing for Paul to have joy in the midst of this. You see, no one can take your relationship with God from you. No one, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And when that love is the most important thing to you, you will find yourself content in both plenty and in want. And for Paul, he was able to do that while he was in prison. But perhaps this morning you're thinking, well, Moses and Paul, these are bigger-than-life people in Scripture that we read about. What about us, everyday, common people? What about us? Well, throughout the history of the church, people like you and I have found the love of God to be their strength in the most difficult times. And we see this expressed in a lot of the great hymns, like, It Is Well With My Soul, or one of my favorites, More Love to Thee. In fact, the story behind More Love to Thee is a great example of this. A pastor and his wife were ministering in New York City in the 1850s when their life suddenly became almost unbearably painful. In a very short time, two of their three children died. Elizabeth Prentice was overcome by her grief and wrote in her diary that she longed to flee from this world. But she began to meditate on God's word. And God spoke to her in her sorrow. And as expressed in the hymn, she came to the point where she could say that loving Christ was even more important than the loss of her children. Listen to a verse of her song. Once earthly joy I craved, sought peace and rest, Now thee alone I seek, give what is best. This all my prayer shall be, more love, O Christ, to thee, more love to thee, more love to thee. God used the most difficult circumstance in her life to teach her what it meant to have a passionate priority. And she found comfort in loving Christ. 
So in Moses, we see the passion take priority over God's physical blessing. In Paul, we see the passion take priority over every human accomplishment and worldly gain. And in Mary of Bethany, we see the passion take priority over riches and reputation. Let's go back to the scene that I started with. It comes from John 12, and then we'll finish the story in Mark 14. Let me read that for us. John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus was living, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was in it. And now let's go to Mark 14, where we get the most detail of Jesus' response. Mark 14, 6. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So imagine the scene with me. The party was hosted by Simon, a leper who had been healed by Jesus. In attendance was Lazarus, whom Jesus had recently raised from the dead. The disciples were there. There were a lot of people who had reason to be thankful for Jesus. But it was Mary whose heart was so filled with passion that she demonstrated it. She walks into the dinner party with an alabaster jar of costly perfume and anoints the feet of Jesus with it, wiping his feet with her hair. But some there said, the scandal of it, what a waste, and rebuked her harshly. Let me explain a few things about what happened in that moment. First of all, the alabaster jar, what was it and what did it represent? In those times when a young woman was of marrying age, her family would purchase an alabaster jar to break at the feet of the man she would marry. Depending on the family's wealth, the perfume inside could be very costly and in Mary's case, about a year's wages. In anointing the feet of Jesus with the perfume in her jar, Mary was putting her passion for God above her own riches. And even above her own future, instead of waiting for her earthly bridegroom, Mary put her future in God's hands and worshiped Jesus in that precious moment. Then there was her reputation to consider. Women in those days were supposed to stay in the background. And even worse, a woman's hair being down was a sign of loose morals. But Mary cared more about loving Jesus than what people would think. And because of her passionate priority, people are still talking about that beautiful gesture over 2,000 years later, just as Jesus said that we would. 
the question I want us to ask this morning is where is our priority? Where is our passion? Is it Jesus? Does your heart cry out to know God like Moses saying, show me your glory? Are you able to say in both good times and in difficult, more love to thee, O Christ? If not, what is holding you back? Or maybe a better question is, what are you holding back? Is there an alabaster jar in your life that's just too precious to break at the feet of Jesus? Is there something in your life that you've allowed to take the place of your first love, the love of Christ? Remember that more than God wants our good deeds and our hard work and our perseverance, He wants our heart. God wants to be the first love of this church today, tomorrow, and until Christ returns to claim his bride. Ask him to show himself to you. He will. And as you see him for who he is and for what he's done, and as you experience his love, the length, the width, the height, and the depth of his love, you will want more and more. As a way of closing this morning, I thought it would be appropriate to sing our prayer. And I couldn't think of a more appropriate song than um, Elizabeth Prentice's More Love to Thee. And so, um, as I sing this song, this version of More Love to Thee, I would invite you to examine your heart and ask him if there's something that you're holding back. Is there something that keeps you from saying, I am all in. I surrender all. And then as God reveals those things to us, let's ask him for the grace and the mercy to let those things go. This be the parting cry 
my heart shall raise this still my prayer shall be circumstance we find ourselves in, may we say more love to Thee, the God who is worthy of all of our praise, of all that we have, all that we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.